I love that song. I found myself singing it this week. You know, God is God is madly <laughs> in love with me. I found I was, I was singing it, and uh, is it true? Like I was saying before, when you're in love, or when you know you're loved, it's a whole different deal. You live differently. And uh, I know uh, working at times in a youth group with uh, girls, it's amazing. You know, I just pick on girls for a minute. You know, they they can be told by their parents all the time, no, your nose is not too long. Yes, it is. My nose is too long, you know. And it's like, my feet are too big and I'm too tall and stuff like that. And no, I'm too short, you know. And, and parents go, no, you're not. You're so cool. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. And, you know, God has the right nose for you and stuff like that. And they go, no, he doesn't, you know. Cry themselves to sleep at night. And then some guy comes along and says, I love your nose. It's so cute. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I love tall girls. Oh, I know. I'm so glad I'm tall, you know. It's like panic and parents have been saying that for years. <laughs> Some guy's going to turn up for a week. <laughs> My whole self-image changes. I'm in love with someone that doesn't have to love me like you do. You're my parents, <laughs> you know. Funny, hey, love is a cool thing. And so tonight we're going to talk about God's madly in love with you. But I want to talk about fresh water fresh tonight. Being able to be a person who's fresh water, fresh. And uh, not that we are different, but we could be different in the way we express ourselves on a daily basis. And we realize tonight that the Bible doesn't attempt to prove the existence of God. It simply declares that God is. Is that right? Read the first part. Genesis 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He doesn't start off apologizing for himself or trying to convince you that he's real. He just says, I am. I am the great I am, so to speak. I created the world. So the belief in the existence of God is not only foundational to understand, uh, but to the Bible, it's actually so. Here it tells us in Hebrews, we've got some scriptures we're going to go through. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a reward of those who diligently seek him. So being able to believe in God, you have to believe in God. That's important, isn't it? Believe, uh, and you may not believe uh, tonight, if you're a guest, a visitor, welcome tonight. We love people coming to church for the first time. We love that. And we really respect and appreciate and honor you for responding to someone's call or looking in the website or whatever you've done to end up here tonight. I trust it's a good investment of your time. But being able to appreciate, without faith, it's impossible to please Him. God has said, I've given each person a measure of faith. So it's not like I don't have what it takes. Yes, you do. For he comes to God, must believe that he is. How many people believe tonight God is? That's good. God is. It's good to do that. And he must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who take their time out to diligently seek him. So there's a little bit more than just on the surface, perhaps, if you look at it. So I want to talk about your future. Realizing how God grows you is fairly important. So we look in Acts 2.42, and he tells us there was a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. There's a bit of a process there. You notice that God doesn't waste anything. He doesn't just go, they did this, and it was fantastic. He goes, this is how they did it. I just want to let you in on the whole thing. And it says, continually in the apostles' doctrine, and it goes on and says, and 3,000 people transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God that day. That's not bad, is it? Well, it's okay. 3,000, when was the last time? 3,000 people turned up at your place. <laughs> That's not bad. 3,000 people said, yes, I believe that God is, and I want to take a step. And they took a step that was a radical step in their life and started to then 
be born again and walk in the kingdom of God. And I believe in the future that preaching, the teaching is going to be more about the kingdom of God than it is going to be about your character. And so you'll hear in the future, I believe, a lot about kingdom building, God wanting to establish the kingdom on earth, and He wants to use us and use me and use you, rather than things that perhaps uh, may help your character. He's just going to get on with it, and He wants you to be part of it. But we live in a day when the, I suppose, the absolutes uh, in life are under attack. It's a tremendous need to maintain sound doctrine and to be a person who, in sound doctrine, actually knows God. That's fairly important. You can be challenged all around. Uh, I was in our church years ago on the Gold Coast, and this guy came to me and said, you know, my dad studied God for 40 years. I thought, wow, that's intense. He was using it to intimidate me. And he, I said, that's amazing, 40 years of study. Wow, that's congratulations to your dad. I said, was he any closer to God at the end than he was in the start? He goes, no, he's still an animal. I thought, there you go. There you go. The doctrine of God must bring us closer to God to know God, know who He is. When we know who He is, when we know how kind He is to us, we can be kind. When we know how forgiving He is to us, we can be forgiving. When we know how generous He is to us, we can be generous. He's our plumb bob. He's our reference point in everything. And so we look at that. And so here we've got worldwide philosophies attacking the faith, some saying it's dead, some saying the Old Testament stuff, some saying it's divisive and unnecessary, but or, or resorting to a physio- psychological, physiological gospel devoid of any biblical doctrine. In Philippians 3, Paul talks about this attitude, and he says this, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. I don't count myself to have arrived. I'm not there yet. I want to keep going. I believe there's more. There's some expectation. But one thing I do, I forget those things which are behind and I reach forward to those things which are ahead. As you get older, you realize the first part of that's very easy. Forget those things are behind. (laughs) And reach forward to those things which are ahead. Press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He said, don't waste your life. Don't waste a moment. Don't don't hold back. He says, press in, press towards, move towards, make some steps towards that direction. Press in towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God. Therefore, let us, as many uh, as mature, have this mind and anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this to you and and help you along that journey. And I, I love that sort of teaching, don't you? Paul's saying, set your life up to win. We're talking foundations tonight. Set your life up to win. Set it up to win. Uh, a friend of ours years ago, in, uh, a guy called Peter Daniels, uh, wrote quite a few books, How to Stay Motivated All the Time and Goal Setting and stuff like that. He's a wealthy businessman who, who was a very generous man when it came to giving and things like that. I remember Peter Daniels said once, and just passing, he said this. He said to me, he said, at what age do you hope to peak? At what age do you hope to peak? Well, I don't know. When I retire, that would be a good time to peak. He said, not mostly, mostly people, when they get to retirement, they, it's not a high time of their life. It's not the best time of their life. It can be good in many other aspects, but in some places, it's quite lonely. It, it's quite fruitless. It, it's quite empty and, and devoid of a whole bunch of things. He said, sometimes you can peak at 45. 
She said, you've got energy, you've got enthusiasm, you've got wisdom, you've got all those things, you've got money, you've got all those things that are in your life at that point. And, and you can be peaking at that point, but she said, many people don't realize that. And so they just go through life thinking this thing, at, at the end, there'll be sort of, uh, you know, some special reward when I retire and I change. And he said, you know, you've you got to really look at that and consider in your life. You might, you might be peaking when you're 25. It doesn't mean that everything after that is downhill. Not at all. It just means that there was a time in your life where you were winning. It was good. Life was good. It was enjoyable. Marriage was good. Everyone was on board. Kids were growing up, grandkids. Whatever it was, there's a time in your life, maybe you're heading towards it. Maybe you're not quite there yet. Where all these things sort of come together. Uh, when you're a certain age, you have a, a measure of wisdom and a, manager, a measure of energy to go with that. Uh, you don't realize as you get older, the wisdom may increase a little bit, but the energy actually depletes. Some people, when they're young, they think, I'm going to have this energy all my life. That's why I would say when you're young, study, be enthusiastic, learn a lot to set yourself up for the rest of your life. It's very powerful. So, therefore, let us many are mature have this mind, it says, and be able to like that. 1 Timothy 4.1 says, hear what could happen. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some people will depart the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And I think sometimes people think, well, that means that people in latter times will depart from the church, and it'll be a great falling away. I actually believe that it really essentially means way back before that happens is as a departing from their faith. They lose the faith for miracles. They lose the faith for an expectation. They lose faith for Jesus is coming back. They lose faith for carrying, being a carrier of hope. They lose faith for witnessing to people and seeing people say yes to Jesus in their workplace or whatever. They depart the faith, the true measure and life of spiritual faith. Spiritual faith, remember what it means? Yeah, spiritual faith means the things that I cannot see are going to come to pass. So I'm going to believe it before I can see it. Spiritual faith. Natural faith is when I see it, <laughs> I'll believe it. That's natural faith. Anyone can have natural faith. But spiritual faith is a totally different deal. Your back is broken, your leg is whatever it is. I'm going to believe God now. Bam, it's going to be healed. Call those things which are not as many will depart from the faith and be interested in just hearing things that perhaps tickle their ears without an expectancy they anything is required of them to do that by God or by anybody. It's good to be able to think God is looking over your shoulder and you've got to watch God because He's very quick, Solomon. Very quick. He can tap you on the shoulder tonight and say, Hey, I'll put that place in your heart. Now's the time. Now's the time to go. Well, now's the time to dig in. You've got to watch God. He's very quick. Just when you think no one's listening, just when you think he's not around, a little tap comes on the shoulder and says, hey, don't move away from that. And so we can leave this, this faith which, you know, stops us having the thought that mountains can be moved. I can break through and get out the other side. Or it, 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 It's that God's moving in my heart and in my life. What's he doing right now in your heart, moving in your heart? Little, let you into a little secret, little moment. When we employed our new principle, we spent two years uh, setting up the right opportunity to be able to employ. And so we pulled on doctors and researchers and all sorts of people onto our team who weren't connected to freshwater to be able to employ the best principle in Australia, or the world, actually, we advertised. And 
you know, we sat with uh, quite a few candidates and looked at their resumes and stuff and then drilled it down, all the way down to uh, a couple of people who were invited into an interview. They sat in my office and pedigree is easy. You look at pedigree. I did this. I went to this university. I did this. I'm thinking about doing that. I've got a doctorate. I've got this stuff. That's great. You say, spiritually, tell me how you got here. Oh, well, <laughs> I was in my bedroom one night and God spoke to me and he turned up and an angel stood there and said, it's time to move. It was the hardest thing. I had to move away from my family. and It was a really big struggle, but I couldn't deny the fact that God had visited me, touched my heart and spoke to me. I think you're the guy. You know, you can train... You can train anybody. But when God picks someone out, when God does something, it's always interesting and it's never over. You know, I, I've been in positions at times where, where people in the natural have been for jobs and stuff like that and, and people have been in a lineup of six people and stuff. This is a, for a word for somebody. And, and, and then they walk away. You know, well, I didn't get the job. You know, stupid company. They wouldn't, I don't, I don't think they're any good anyway. Don't know why I went there. You know? Then a week later, uh-huh, this guy didn't work out, and they ring up because you were next. Uh-huh, but are you really the right person if that's your, what's really in your heart? I think it's good to stay fresh. I think, God, if this doesn't work out, I'm your man. I'm your woman. I'm ready to go. We're talking tonight about heart issues. Talking here tonight, perhaps as a father would tell his children, Watch this trap, son. It's a trap that people fall into. When they're not employed for that position, they walk away. And sometimes when you react that way, you are definitely not the right person for that position. Uh huh. But don't disqualify yourself because of the condition of your heart because you can't handle rejection. Uh huh. And, and so it is. You know, these things that we believe are so important. This morning we talked about doctrines, you know, as foundations. Really, we should have probably covered the 10 or 15 doctrines uh, to be able to get our foundations or our footings actually right. But today everyone wants p- things faster than a microwave, so it makes it very hard to, to teach properly the doctrine of revelation. That is an amazing doctrine, the doctrine of revelation, which empowers us to understand the constantly revealing God who's revealing stuff. His mercies are new every morning, yeah? You know that word morning doesn't mean morning. It actually means moment. His mercies are new every moment. Every moment. You know the word moment, it's, it's an interesting word. There's nothing in between the word moment and the next word moment. There's not a gap. It's moment to moment to moment to moment to moment that God's mercy is new every moment. And you think, wow, God, you're so tight in your thinking. You're so goddess all the time. There's not a gap in the, in the middle where we do that. Understanding the, 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 the incredible doctrine of the revelation of a revealing God is phenomenal for our life, but we haven't touched on that. The doctrine of Scripture, to, to, to neither contradict but to always include and to lift up and establish is phenomenal. We understand the doctrine of Scripture. The, the doctrine of God, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a good one. The doctrine of the Holy Spirit. The doctrine of angels. Uh-huh. The word doctrine simply means to teach the substance, the substance of it, the real stuff, the instruction, the principles or 
It's something taught and imparted. The doctrine of, of angels, the doctrine of Satan, demonology. That's pretty exciting, that, um, in a good way. Uh, the doctrine of man is one. The doctrine of sin, the doctrine of Christ, the doctrine of the atonement. That's a brilliant one. The doctrine of the eternal states. The doctrines of healing or whatever it might be and deliverance. All phenomenal things as foundational truths. Have you taken time out to study this? It's really important. It's not for pastors, for everybody. And so this progress of the doctrine in our life is so important because this is how God grows us. Take a look at Isaiah. It tells us this. Whom will he teach knowledge? Question. And whom will he make to understand the message? Those just weaned from milk. Those who have been taken off the breast are the ones who will teach. For precept must be upon precept, upon precept. Isn't that amazing? It's like... There's a bit of God stuttering there. Precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept. Line upon line, line upon line. Here a little, there a little. Isn't that amazing? There is more. For with stammering lips and another tongue, he will speak to his people, to whom he said, this is the rest which you may, uh, this is the rest with which you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. Isn't that powerful when you think about it? Whom shall he teach knowledge to? Whom shall he make to understand? That person has been weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. The method will be precept upon precept, line upon line, little here and a little there. So God's method of teaching us is a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit over there, and a little bit here. Line upon line, precept upon precept, he teaches us. Why is that important? Because he doesn't want to give us the full revelation of Christ all at once. How do you know that? Well, there's 39 books in the Old Testament formed over possibly about 1,100 years. Right there is why he doesn't teach us all up front. To record, but not one patriarch, not one prophet, not one priest, could do it, it had to be line upon line, a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit over there, for God to be able to build our lives. And nothing's changed. Nothing's changed in our life. But we've got to have, the Bible says, as believers, have faith. It says, if you don't mix what you're hearing with faith, which means a, a, a desire to do what's being taught, a desire to do what you've heard, you know, I talked about when he inspected a peak. He go, oh, that was good. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> See, preaching has become like entertainment. And sometimes we don't take it home. We don't go, yeah, when am I going to peak in my life? What age do I want to peak? H- how do I want to be able to set my life up to win? I was watching a thing the other day on people on superannuation and how that works. And they were interviewing a whole bunch of young people. And they said, when you get old enough, how much superannuation do you think you're going to need to live once you retire at the age of 65? And all of them answered around $400,000 to $500,000 to live. And I thought, ooh, that's a little bit dangerous. I think you're going to miss the mark there by a million or so. <laughs> to be able to think, how can I actually live? After I stop working, how can I actually sustain myself and being able to do that? A wise, wise person... A little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit here. 
questions or the challenges come to me and then I go, oh, I could do something about that or I need to do something about that to prepare myself. So as a body, as we have a body, we have a responsibility before God to grow and to adhere to the knowledge of God with the grace of God, to be able to know who God is and work in our life. And so it's tempered where God can be able to help your life. But it's tempered in such a way that God says, you're known by your fruit. He said, if the fruit's not good, the whole tree's not good. If the fruit's good, the whole tree's good. So you're known by your fruit. Well, I say it often, when I came to Queensland, I wasn't known in Queensland. No one knew me in Queensland. They knew me in Victoria uh, for good and for bad. But when I was, came to Queensland, no one knew me. So I had to be able to establish the credibility of my life. How do you do that? You're known by your fruit. How do you do that? The yeses are yeses and your noes are noes. You become a credible person when you pay your bills on time. If not, you communicate with the people that you owe money to. You develop a credibility, you develop who you are. You are known then by your fruit. And how do people know that phones and things these days, people can know a lot about you really quickly. These days, everything you put on Facebook, one day your future employer will read. Uh huh. And he'll either employ you or not employ you in the interview process and you won't even know it because of what he's read or what, because of what you've written five or ten years ago. Amazing, isn't it? You're known by your fruit. And what you type is sometimes even stronger than what would perhaps come out your mouth. How many people know that? When you commit to writing something, it's a little bit stronger than just saying it and going, oh, I didn't really mean it anyway. When you write it, it's a whole different deal. So you and I need to be able to have a healthy, clear, fresh, ongoing revelation of who God is. That's what we're talking about. And so God wants me to be able to grow and be strong in that. Here in the Bible, I talked about on Wednesday morning in Luke 2.52. It talks about this process here where Luke 2.52 says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature in favor with God and favor with man. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus, who was, uh, some people say, half man, half God. Well, really, he was 100% God and 100% man. (laughs) You know, Uh, which part was, well, it was all. And so Jesus increased, so he increased in, in mentally, that's the, the breakdown of that. Jesus increased mentally. He, he stimulated his learning. He desired to learn things. He wanted to grow. He wanted to read books, go to the library and learn things. He, he became a, a, like a, a little builder with his dad. Worked with stone and worked with wood and things. He increased. He didn't just park somewhere. Like Paul said, I pressed doors. In stature, he grew physically. Not just he grew up because his mom and dad fed him. He grew in stature. In faith, I would know about you, but I wouldn't. What would it be like to arm wrestle Jesus? I don't know if you'd win. Huh? Snap your arm off. And he goes, oh, we'll just repair that. That's all right. Jesus, I'll be healed. <laughs> Stature. And in favor with God, so he, he grew spiritually. Favor with God. And he grew, the last one is he grew socially. And I don't think there's any mistake why he puts them down in this order. And Jesus increased in wisdom mentally. He learned stuff. He studied. He applied himself. Then he grew physically. Because some of the stuff he was learning, I, I imagine, lifted his head up a little bit high and straightened out his back and put a backbone in him. In a real way. 
in favor with God. See, when we learn and when we grow and learn doctrine, we learn to grow in the favor of God because we get to go know who God is because there's an intimacy or a vulnerability. The word intimacy is God into me see. I'm going to pull down all the guards. God into me see. And then he says, and he grew socially. See, if you don't get the first three right, social things will be a struggle to you. You just sit in the corner at a party and feel sorry for yourself. Why isn't everyone talking to me? This is a dumb party. It's stupid. No, no. Lying in the corner sucking your thumb, feeling sorry for yourself, is a social problem, usually because the first three aren't right. So these things that Jesus, I think, was trying to help mankind with in such a, a powerful way. Are you with me tonight? To be able to, you and I, keep growing. And how important that is. I believe there was times when Jesus grew and he, he taught things really basically. He was taught things too that were really, like honor your parents. Can I just talk about that for a moment with young boys? I put this little booklet together. If you're a young man here, you can come and grab one off me that just helps you understand how to be able to conduct yourself as a young man in transitioning from boyhood into manhood and how powerful is Pastor John, I loved it. He wanted to keep it for himself. I said, you can have it anyway. But how important it is to be able to honor your parents. If you can't honor your parents because they're stupid, then honor the position that they have before God as your parents. That's really important. So God doesn't leave you alone on that whole process just because your parents weren't wise in what they do. But how important it actually is to be a young man. Jesus had to learn the manners and customs of his time so he could actually operate socially. I always say it, I love the, the uh, Royals Church people because whenever I meet the people there, they always call me Pastor Stuart. In the shops, I go, hey, Pastor Stuart, how are you going today? Hey, Pastor Stuart, how are you today? They've been taught well. There's not a lot of them where they've come from. They wouldn't talk like that. But they've been taught well. I think it's good. Remember how we talked tonight about the freshwater way? Maybe it's the sort of thing that we are the sort of people that are taught well too. And being able to know who to respect. When I uh, was in our church and Josh was only a little kid and there was, we had 6,000 people in our church. So Josh and Julia were only little kids. And, and I had to teach Josh and Julia who were the most important people in the church. Who are the most important people? The senior pastor is very important. You always say hello to him and, and treat him correctly. The other people there that are really important. Is everyone important? Yes, they are. But there's certain people that are in positions of leadership that children need to know the order of that so they can speak into that and honor that. Uh-huh. It's very important to know. The principal at a school is fairly important. He might be the most hated person by every student, but it doesn't alter the fact that he's still the principal. And all it does is when we, we react to that, it doesn't tell us anything about the principle. It tells us everything about what's in your heart. And so it's really important that we learn these are manners and culture. That sometimes you've got to rein your attitudes in. Sometimes you've got to rein your emotions in. They just want to run wild. And so we set those boundaries around our children. So I remember talking to a girl one day, and I was talking about this, and she came to me afterwards, and she said, I've been a pastor's daughter. Um you know, basically all my life. And she said, I, my dad could never stop me doing it. But she said, I walked around and my thing was kicking people in the church. She said, I just walk up to people, everyone in the church, and just kick them 
from a young age. My dad couldn't stop me doing it. Just, I still don't know why I did it, but I'm embarrassed now as a, as a mother. Funny, hey? But these things are very important to be able to learn how to be able to conduct ourselves. And as I say in, in my little booklet here for young men, I say to them things like, don't borrow stuff. If you're not prepared to bring it back in better condition than you first borrowed it. So if you borrow someone's car, what do you do, Josh? You bring it back better. What does that mean? You clean it, you fill it with petrol, you do whatever it takes to do that. If you can't afford to fix it, if it breaks or someone smashes into it, then don't borrow it in the first place. If you borrow someone's chainsaw and you break it and smash it and they say, look, <laughs> what happens? Then you replace it. Otherwise, don't borrow it in the first place. Because, oh, that's just a bit tough. No, it's not. This makes the world go round. Being able to understand manners and customs of the time. And this is the, the time we live in. I, I put down here stuff like that. Uh, never shake hands as a young man. This is for young men. Never shake hands with another man while you are sitting down. Always stand up. Why not standing up for anybody? See how you go with that. It's always good as a, as a man, stand up. It's always good for young men to hang out with old dudes. They have something to impart. It's always good. Don't be impatient about that. I just got to hang out with my friends. Yeah, that's good. Manners make the man. We need to practice them. Things like choosing your friends. Treat your boss like a customer, well and polite. Call or visit your parents often. They'll miss you. When you take your parents out, when you go out for tea, now, Josh is fantastic at this. When you go out to tea as a family, I'm used to paying for the family because Josh and Julia were only young. But now they can afford their own thing. So when we go out to tea, sometimes Josh will just go and pay the bill. It's good for young people to do that. As a parent, it's good for them to take you out to tea. Manners and customs of the time. See, how do we grow? We just recap little by little, line upon line, precept upon precept. This is how we grow, doing the right things right, seeing the reward of those things and going, wow, this really works for me, being able to live like that. Uh, you know, for girls, it's a, it's a big one for girls. Most girls make the biggest mistake they do is they don't live from the inside out. They live from the outside in. If everyone thinks I look good, I am good. Girls make the biggest mistake ever. And so these were manners and customs, I believe, at the time. Live from the inside out. Be beautiful on the inside. Know that God is fearfully and wonderfully made you. That's the simplest way to, to get that right. And to be able to walk like that and talk like that, be able to spend time as with your dad and let him speak into your life, let him encourage you. Being able to have a father's voice in your ear as a young daughter, you need to set yourself to do that. If you don't have a dad that's close by or whatever, God says, that's awesome. I'll be your dad and I'll tell you. I'll step up. That's what God does. But you have to give him permission to be able to do that, to speak into your life, to teach you the manners and customs of the time. So socially, you're really equipped really well. Socially, you're really well to be able to handle many situations. I, I find now for me personally, you know, people say, you should go witnessing. And I love going witnessing. But you know what I love about witnessing, getting out and telling people about Jesus and getting out on the streets at night and stuff? I just go out and make friends. I just get out and make friends. Hi, how are you going? What are you doing? Tourist. Good. Where are you from? I don't want anything from them. People want, what are you selling me? I'm a young guy. Just being friendly. 
kind of good. They're like, well, I'm going to go witness them and tell them about Jesus, and they're all going to burn in hell if they. What's that? Well, it works. Really? How many people you got saved this month? None. Wonder why? Maybe the process is not. Need a little bit of a tweak. But getting out and being able to. I love going to the airport because people are trapped there. They're either going somewhere or they come. They're waiting for somebody. It, it's you know what, what do you call that, Luke? When they come out of the weather in the domestic thing, they come out through the doors into the uh, where they pick up their bags. In the which? Arrivals. That's what. That's a good name for it. <laughs> the arrivals. Everyone's coming out there. It's great to turn up early, pick someone up. It's going to cost me an extra fifteen cents in the car park. Yeah, that's right. Probably. Will cost you to witness to people. And be able to just talk, hey, where are you from? Where are you from? You can just join all the dots with people and you can have a party almost by just catching up with a whole bunch of people and practice being friendly, being able to do that. And then in that place, sometimes people say, oh, I've got, a, I need, I've got a real need. My father's flying in because my grandfather died and this and that. Just before I go, can I pray for you? Oh, because it's being naturally spiritual and spiritually natural. But it comes out of having good manners, and respecting people and watching social cues. If people are sort of looking at watching stuff, hey, I've got to go. Catch up with you soon, isn't it? Learning to be able to follow some of those things are really important because mentally, Luke 2.52, you've thought about this, you've studied it. Physically, you're not feeling, it's not about you because I'm so fat, I can't talk to anybody. You've got over yourself. And the next one is spiritually, you feel able and equipped. If there was a need, you could actually meet it. So therefore, the last one is socially, You've got a capacity to do that. How is God ever going to get me in that place? Little by little, line upon line, and precept upon precept. And so that's why coming to church on a night like tonight causes you to what? Pick up a little. I just going to let that little bit get in there. Oh, there's a, there's a little bit over there. I'm going to put that in there. But I need a church where there's meat. No, God grows me little bit by little bit. And then tomorrow you read the Word and something, oh, I like that. There's another little bit. Oh, next bit. There's another little bit. Oh, there's another bit. I'll just put that there. And all of a sudden, I'm growing in God. I feel like I'm growing. And you feel like something is starting to happen around my life. And the girls, as I said, they start to realize, hey, true beauty starts on the inside. You've got to be beautiful on the inside before you'll ever be beautiful on the outside. But can I say it again? Girls make the biggest mistake. Women make the biggest mistake is they first think they have to be beautiful on the outside before they can ever feel they're beautiful on the inside. That's a real trap of the devil to set you up to be able to do that. And so we work through those things. How do we do it? In guys, we do manhood teaching. We do things like keeping our hair and our clothes and our nails neat and tidy girls are, are like they got laser beam eyes they just they look at your nails they look at your shoes they look at your belt you know they look at your hair you know uh, hair's a funny thing isn't it <laughs> don't you think hair's funny it's like when it's on your head it's like oh you got a cool haircut you know but the moment it leaves your body it becomes something else does it it is. I have a fascination with this. Josh thinks it's gross, but it's true. 
the moment it leaves your body and is on the sink or something like that, it becomes another whole thing. Aren't you? People disown it. They do, oh, no, it wasn't mine. It wasn't my hair. When it was attached to your head, it was like, I just shampooed it with the best shampoo. I've just been to the best. Did you notice I got my hair done? I got, I got it colored as well. But once it falls out, it's like on its own. It's like, get that thing out of here. Where'd it come from? It's like an alien traveling through the bathroom, isn't it? Huh? And if you've got two or three, or even worse, if part of that person ends up in your food, it's like free dinner, isn't it? There was hair in the, in the soup, isn't it? There was, it, like this, it just takes it to a whole new level. Oh, that's ugly, that's terrible. And yet every single person's got hair. It's weird, isn't it? There's only one piece out of the, you don't even know how many hairs are on your head. And only one of them's got to fall out into a bowl and it's all over. You're the worst cook in the world. I'm never eating at this restaurant ever again. The food is so bad. There's people's bodies in it or parts thereof. <laughs> and you've got half a cow in there. And you're happy to eat that, but you're not happy to eat just a piece of someone's hair. <laughs> Isn't it? You throw, if you're with Jane, she put a duck in there as well. I mean, you just I, I, like eat that on your own. You know, you just sit in the corner and eat your own food over there. I'm not eating with you. Ducks. But anyway, how do we get there? Social, looking after yourself, smelling good, looking good, feeling good. Beauty's on the inside. Let it come out. That's how Jesus wants to build our life. And oftentimes you'll find that our lives are built with words. The words that people speak to us and the words that we, we speak, our lives are built by those words. And they're very important, especially when we take those words on, on and we're able to live out those realities. And when we take His Word as being the final word, it changes everything. Doctrine, foundations. We've covered it this month. I trust skimmed across the surface, Pastor Heidi, skimmed across the surface, but it doesn't alter the fact that you can go and do your own research and do your own homework and look through those doctrines. Father, we thank You today. We've come to the end of nothing. We're all just at the beginning. And we thank you, Father, today that for whatever reason, last year you put it on our hearts to cover foundations and just touch on it as an important reality to be considered when it comes to seeing our life grow. And the foundations, Lord, as you know, are are things that first happen on a, on a job site to a large degree. There's measurements made and calculations and string lines put out, but usually that's to outline where the foundations will go down first so the building can be established on top of those. God, some people have had phenomenal foundations built in them through Christian homes and been in just what we call just hothouse lives where they can grow strong and no pests can get at them. and They've been nurtured and looked after and tended every day. But some haven't. Some didn't start well at all. And to a large degree, perhaps when we're very young, it's not our fault. Other times we get older and we make our own decisions and surely mess up our life in some way, shape or form. 
Jesus. It doesn't matter which side of the tracks we're born on or what happened, we come for you. And you want to give us a big cuddle and say it's going to be all okay. You want to hold our hands. You want to kiss us on the cheek. Embrace us. That's the power of the gospel. You're going to be there if we make mistakes and you're going to show us and stop us perhaps before we make them. You go, no, 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 no. Whoa, don't go that way. Or you might bring us over and just show us in the word what needs to be done other than what we're going to do. You're going to help us speak help us listen. You can help us walk. Your word says your word would be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Father, we thank you today that you could help us line upon line, precept upon precept, little upon little, a little bit here and a little bit there. You'll grow our life. We want to grow because we can. It's healthy for us to grow. Anything that's healthy grows. Thank you, Father, today that doesn't matter what age or stage we're in in life, there's still beautiful, sweet opportunities to grow. Help us, we pray, Lord.